All right, hey, good morning, everyone. By the magic of light and sound, this is the Bodybuilding.com podcast. I'm Nick. I'm the host up in here, and I'm an editor at Bodybuilding.com. So is Heather Eastman. She's here to my right. She's a former physique competitor and judge as well. Uh, and our guest today is someone who's carving a unique path through the health and fitness space online. Uh, fitness model and evidence-based health coach. A uh, former high school teacher turned entrepreneur recently, yes. Very recently. And uh, her name is Joelle Cavanaro, teambodybuilding.com athlete, uh, former spokesmodel search finalist also. Yeah. And she's in town filming some cool stuff with us, and we were able to get her on the podcast. Joelle, yeah. thanks for coming and talking with yeah, us. Sure. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you've also, you've written for bodybuilding.com. You have an article um, and also contributed a few popular videos to our YouTube channel which if you don't subscribe people, you really should. Our man Derek does a really cool job with that channel. It's a wealth of information and workouts and just free information from tons and tons of cool people. Um, now, there are a lot of things I want to talk with you about. Health coaching, I think, is interesting. Career changes, mm-hmm. plant-based protein, <laughs> blood flow restriction, which yes. is something that we've talked yep. about with a lot of people, but I don't think we've actually talked about it with a woman who's done it yet yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but first, I kind of want to get a little bit better vision of what led you to where you are in this room here right now, right. athletically, personally, uh, kind of as a as a as a lifter and athlete and sure. fitness investigator. Where did you yeah. come from? Um, so I would say it. You know, my my dad was a, bo- a bodybuilder growing up, actually. So um, I I lived in a, a fairly healthy household growing mm. up. Fairly, fairly healthy. I mean, there were there were a few cookies here and there, but hey, there's um, healthy bodybuilding. Well, there's yeah. unhealthy bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah, my dad did one show, so um, I won't say you know that I grew up going a ton of ton of his shows and things like that. He did a show. Oh, so it's, uh, it was like a Arnold. bucket list item. He's not exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay. but he is tall, dark, and jacked. Um, <laughs> Still. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, so I grew up in a, in a healthy household. Uh, mom and dad always went to the gym. So, uh, I wouldn't say dieting was like something I was very familiar with, but just being active, being a gym goer. I was an athlete as a kid. I played lacrosse. I was a cross country runner. Uh, running was, God, now I don't run unless something's chasing me, but Mm -hmm. running was my sport. Um, when you suck it, anything with hand-eye coordination, you just run instead. And that was, that was me. I was like, right Listen, they make you stop. I can't shoot a ball. I can't catch a ball. So I'm just going to run. And I, I remember my like middle school phys ed teacher, you know, we ran the mile for gym and whatnot. And my teacher was like, do you ever think about cross country? I'm like, running for fun are you crazy <laughs> no your sports punishment yeah our sport is your sports punishment it's funny the hotel that i'm staying at right now there's a, a whole cross-country team staying there for a, a meet that they have tomorrow and i'm like good luck have fun you're gonna hate running <laughs> in like three years from now uh-huh. but have fun while it lasts uh so i was a runner uh, growing up, middle school, high school, I also played lacrosse. I was a gymnast. And um, and so athletics was always something that was a part of my life. Um, and I think that's what somewhat prompted my fitness journey. Uh, where things started to change a little bit was once I went to college. So high school, I was this lean little bean, right? I was running 10 miles every day. And I was the, the epitome of like eat like crap 
and still be skinny. Like I was that kid that ate garbage at lunch, like chocolate chip cookies, plate of French fries and a bag of popcorn. And like, that was my lunch. And then before cross country practice was a peanut butter and fluff sandwich every single day. And I'd literally scarf it down and start running. There was no like chewing, wait an hour, (laughs) like let it digest. It was just like, you know, you're, when you're a kid, you're just like eat, go and, uh, and go to town. And so I had awful eating habits as a kid, uh, as a teen, and I, I, would, I remember my dad, he'd come home from work, and he'd be like, Joel, what'd you eat today? Like, you'd practice, you know, and, and mom would always cook dinner, so there was always, like, protein and carbs and, like, a healthy balance at dinner, but, like, breakfast and lunch were, like, a mm-hmm. free-for-all. And so I remember he'd come home from work and be like, what'd you eat today? Like, you had a, a 10-mile practice today. Like, what'd you have when you got home? And I was like, Cheez-Its. And he's like... Joelle, protein. Like mm. you need to have, I'm like, so I'd go over and I'd pull out the cheese it box. I'm like, dad, there's two grams of protein in this. <laughs> How much like, do I you also need? Just eat, I, I just <laughs> ate a whole box. Like that's gotta be like 10 grams. <laughs> and so, uh, so I knew nothing. I knew nothing about nutrition. Like you knew most, multiplication at least. You, 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 you <laughs> that's <knew>. about <laughs> it. You're right. You're right. But, uh, but in high school, I didn't know much about nutrition at all. And, um, and so lo and behold, I went to college and I kept those same eating habits and I stopped running 10 miles a day. So what happens? Yeah. So I put on about 30 pounds my freshman year of college. Um, And contrary to most people, uh, it was not from drinking. It was really because dining halls. (laughs) It was because all you can eat buffet, you know, at college dining hall, I can eat whatever I want. And I'm a kid that loves food and has always just stayed skinny because she burned everything off. And I, you know, you're 18 years old. You don't think about like, oh, my caloric expenditure is not the same as it used to Mm -hmm. be. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant back in, back in the day. Freshman 30. Yeah. So it was the freshman 30. I went to college weighing 98 pounds. And, uh, and I came home that summer weighing 130 and my, I just remember my dad looking at me and he was like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's interesting is that I was still working out, um, throughout that freshman year, cardio was really all I knew because I was a runner. So it was very like, I'd go on to the elliptical for an hour or I'd go bike for an hour, uh, you know, three or so days a week. And I still put on that much weight. So it was like, okay, something's not adding up here. Maybe I need to like look into this nutrition component because then, you know, you see all those things like you can't outwork a bad diet. Like you can't out exercise a bad diet, all those fun cliches. And that lo and behold, it was kind of true. Uh, so I started uh, looking a whole lot more into nutrition and, you know, ordered a few books online. And that's when like Pinterest was really big. So I'd look at like workouts on Pinterest and recipes on Pinterest. And then the Instagram community started becoming a little bit bigger. And I discovered this like Instagram fitness community. And that was super cool. This was probably like uh, 2011, 2012 ish. Um, okay. So, so fair, fairly early and instant. Yes. Fitness, yes. Fitness so Instagram. like Instagram world, it was early. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a, so I had a Blackberry my freshman year of college, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, by the time we got to like my, my sophomore year, I had an iPhone. And then once you had an iPhone, you could get Instagram and, and all that jazz. So, um, I started, you know, quote unquote, researching nutrition and, uh, you know, a, and <laughs> yes, on Instagram and Pinterest and, you know, 18 year old research is like how to get abs, you know, Googling, like how to get abs, how to, uh, 
eat healthier in college. You know, you're Googling things like that. And I'd be like, all like, oh yeah, I've done, I've done a ton of research on this. Meanwhile, like my, you know, expert Google search, uh, was what, where I was getting my information from. And so I found all these people on Instagram that were, you know, fitness community. And it was a lot smaller, you know, in 2011, 2012, there were only so many people that like were the fitness people. Now, of course, it's a very, very saturated industry. Uh, but, I got, I went from one extreme to the next. And so I had, I had gained this weight and truly my intention was like, okay, I want to be healthier. My clothes aren't really fitting right. It never was like, oh my God, I hate my body. It was like, Hey, my jeans are really tight. Like I know I've probably put on some muscle and, and things like that, but I'm not used to, to being this size. And I was still I would say relatively small, uh, but compared to what I was when you're, you grow up being a high school cross country runner, like you're a little string bean. So, uh, so I started looking into, you know, how can I lose weight? And I started delving into, um, my college weight room and I found another girl that I was good friends with that I was a health and PE major. And so, uh, luckily a lot of us were super into athletics and working out. And so there was a, a group of girls and I that would go to the gym and we'd weight lift together. Like, yeah, the boys aren't going to scare us out of here. And mm-hmm. we were super confident about it. Like, I, I don't feel like I was intimidated. Like a lot of people are by the gym. And, um, I think that nutrition was just where I really began to struggle like most people. And, uh, you know, when you start to read things on the internet and I'm sure people still run into this, you know, issue now, if, if you are wanting to get healthier, you're, where do you start? Right. That's mm-hmm. the hardest part is like, well, people where do still I start yeah. by Googling those same right, terms? Right. It's incredible. And so when volume, you're 18 yeah. and vulnerable and stupid and naive, you Google those things and it's like, well, don't eat carbs, don't eat fat, don't eat sugar, don't eat eggs. The cholesterol is bad for you. And so I just started eliminating, eliminating food after food after food um, until there wasn't much left that I could actually eat from. You know, I was afraid of fruit because of the sugar. I was afraid of carbs because they'd make me fat. And I was afraid of fat because I thought it would make me fat and eggs, which I always knew to be healthy. Like suddenly eggs are bad and avocado has too much fat. And there's all these things that we know as health foods um, that I just became fearful of because I started to lose that weight. Um, and, and I lost that 30 pounds and then some, and it became this, um, never ending battle of not knowing. I think that once I lost the weight, okay, now you maintain, I think I, I, looking back, I think I had such a hard time with, okay, I'm losing the weight and let's just keep this going. And no one told me like, no, no, no. Once you lose the weight, like now we have to maintain and you're healthy and let's stay where you're at. Like no one, no one taught me that. I'm in call. My dad probably knew that, but I was four hours away at a a college in Pennsylvania. Maybe still not ready to hear what your parents had to say. And I'm, I'm away at, at college with a bunch of kids that are just getting shit faced on weekends and, and getting McDonald's at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. And like, I'm there starving myself and, and, uh, you know, chewing gum when I'm hungry because I'm so afraid to eat and gain the weight back that I, that I had initially gained. And so that went down a, 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 bad path of orthorexia, which is this obsession with, uh, under eating, clean eating, quote unquote, and, and over exercising. And so I was doing tons of cardio, uh, tons of weightlifting. And really in my head, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. 
Like I saw these girls on Instagram and these girls on Pinterest that were ripped. And I'm like, I just want to be like that. And so I truly was not trying to like get skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. I wanted to get stronger. I wanted to be jacked. Like that was my goal. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be ripped. I want to compete. And I was just getting leaner and leaner. But the leaner I got, the more I could see my muscles. So in my head, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm getting, like, look at my abs now. Like, look how ripped I'm getting. And I'm like 85 pounds at this point, probably. I think after... After I was under 100 pounds again, I stopped weighing myself because I I knew that every time I went home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas break, everything, mom and dad were like, you're getting too skinny, you're getting too skinny. And I'm like, you know, when you get like, when you start hearing that and Mm. you're like, no, but like, I'm finally seeing the results I want to see. Like, I'm fit. I feel good. Um, You don't see it as a problem. Mm -hmm. And so everyone else is like, no, 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 what you're doing is not okay. And you're like, well... I have a six pack. So obviously (laughs) I know what I'm doing. Right. And so you get like super defensive and cocky. Uh, and that being, you know, being mixed with being naive Mm -hmm. is like, you know, just a quite the combination. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so my, my eating disorder got, got pretty bad. I stayed at college. Um, my, my second, I stayed away in Pennsylvania for two years and then I ended up transferring home and A lot of people ask, like, you know, what do you think triggered your health and fitness journey into something that was so extreme and into this orthorexia? Because it never came from a place of, like, self-loathing or self-hate. It was never like, oh, my God, I can't look in the mirror. I'm going to starve myself. It wasn't that conscious of a thought. It was like I truly thought that I was trying to be healthier. And it just spiraled into something that I I was just too uneducated to know how to do it the right way. Um, but I think the other thing that this got paired with is that, uh, it was at a time in my life where I was really struggling to find control. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went home that summer after my freshman year and that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym this summer. Like before I go back for my sophomore year, like I want to get in better shape. And, um, so I went home that summer, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And um, I was also double majoring in college and had a minor. And so I was like up the wazoo with credits. Mm -hmm. So stretched so super thin. And so I went, my dad had a a cancer surgery that summer. I went back to school in August. My boyfriend uh, at the time, who's now my husband, um, was back in New York, uh, graduated college in New York, back home where my parents were. And so I went back in the fall. And my dad is recovering from cancer. My boyfriend's four hours away from me. I'm taking an 18 credit max. I'm stretched so thin. I'm not going out on the weekends anymore because I'm staying in to study and staying in to get my, you know, my A's. And I was really adamant about that. And uh, and I was in a fight with my roommate. And I I got home from class one day. And my my roommate, who was my best friend, we went to spring spring break together. Everything. I came home one day. My roommate was moved out of my room, and I was like, holy crap. And so there were just so many moving pieces. There were so many things going on in my life that were so out of my control. And it's funny, I didn't think about it then, but I see looking back now, like, but I could control my food Mm -hmm. and I could control my workouts. And I think that that was just something I clung onto so hard because they were the only sense of control that I had. They were, I couldn't do anything about the amount of work my, my teachers were giving me. I couldn't do anything that my dad was home recovering and I'm four hours away or that my boyfriend was four hours away and all these things are, are happening and I couldn't control any of it. And so I think that you know, being on a health and fitness journey and also the combination of everything else going on in my life at the time, it just, it was the perfect combination of 
disaster. Sure. Right? Now, yeah. you, you mentioned that you were um, nut- studying nutrition, exercise, health and fitness while you were there. Yeah. How did, how did all of that influence or not influence, like we're, we're, when, when you would hear, you know, what everything you were learning about maybe the right way to do things or at least the academically sound way yeah. to do things, would it, would you just hear it and kind of let it go oh, through yeah. you? Oh yeah. I and thought maybe I knew what, better the things your everyone. parents were telling you too. Yeah. I mean, so my undergrad, I did a, a bachelor's in health education and then a bachelor's in physical education and then a minor actually in special ed. And so I did that my first two years. I transferred home uh, back to a school on Long Island and then did my final two years there. And then I stayed and did a master's in exercise physiology. So, um, that the, the eating disorder really ran, I would say up until my master's degree. And then once I started, once I did my master's in ex-phys, I was like, wow, I knew nothing. I've been doing it I've all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it was really like, you know, um, you don't realize how much you didn't know until you start to learn more. And then you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that because orthorexia is a, in my opinion, a relatively new eating disorder. Term, yeah. Um, and it's, so ortho comes from the term like to straighten or correct. Mm-hmm. Like you think you're orthodontist with your teeth. Right. And it's an eating disorder in which you're trying to be so correct and so mm-hmm. precise and like so yeah. fine-tuned because all eating disorders to a certain extent right. have a degree of, I want to control my food. And I believe that in the fitness and even more specifically in the bodybuilding community, this is a disorder that may kind of underlie a lot of those people that you see that are kind of so obsessed with weighing and measuring everything. So um, I'd like to kind of chat about, you know, how you kind of saw this finally kind of diagnosed, okay, this is what's going on and how you address that now being somewhat of a fitness personality and being on this platform where you have people looking up to you and wanting to do everything perfect. And how do you kind of, how did you make that transition out of trying to be so precise and so perfect? Yeah. And, and that was something that inspired me to, you know, my own journey is what inspired me to want to be a health and fitness coach and kind of help, help other people, uh, really to help prevent people from going down the path that I went on when they first start their health and fitness journey. So, um, I would say the, the major turning point for me, because you know, like mom and dad and and boyfriend are telling you like, this isn't healthy, this isn't healthy. And you're like, shut up. I know what I'm doing. Right. Um, well, you have that, that it's basically a t-shirt. I, I have a six pack. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how I felt like, mm-hmm. well, you know, you know, you start to, place judgment on other people. Well, like mm. you're not in shape and you're look at what you're eating and you become so judgmental of other people and their journey um, because you're so resistant to hearing anything that's not your way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I said before, the the Instagram community of, of fitness world was a lot smaller back then. And so there was this person that I was following on Instagram that was a health and fitness coach. And back then there weren't a lot of like health and fitness coaches, online coaches was not wasn't really a big thing yet. Um, and so there was a coach that I was following and he followed me back and we'd chat every now and then and comment on each other's stuff. And one day he messaged me and he's like, would you, you know, I'm a, I'm a fitness coach. I'm a health coach. Would you be interested in being a sponsored athlete for me? And this was like before sponsorships and like all that, you know, was, was like a really big thing, I guess, at least in my world. And he, I said, you know, well, what would that entail? And he was like, well, I would, I would coach you for free and, um, you'd represent the company. And I was like, sounds like a win-win to me. Like, all right. And so he took me under his wing 
And I think he saw from the get-go, like, how restrictive I was, how um, underweight I was. And for whatever reason, he saw something in me and was like, I want to take this girl under my wing and I want to help her. And because he had a lot of followers and because he was like this health and fitness coach in my brain, he was like, Oh, this guy knows, like he knows what he's doing. Right. Like this, I'm going to learn so does. much right. from him. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he could tell me something exactly as what my dad told me two days before, but like, I don't hear it from my dad, but I'd hear it from this coach mm-hmm. because he's a coach. He knows he's got followers and whatever else. And so, um, He is the first person in this, again, this is in probably 2012, uh, 2013 maybe. He was the first person um, that introduced me to macros and tracking macros and flexible dieting before before it was even known as flexible dieting um, or if it fits your macros, right? And so uh, I I was very open with him, like, you know, I don't want to gain weight. Um, I, I want to eventually compete. I want to put on muscle. And he was like, you got to be eating more. And I'm like, well, no, like I'm going to gain fat if I eat more, you know? And he was very like, no, actually, you know, if, if let's say you need 2000 calories a day to maintain your current weight, if you stay within those 2000 calories, you won't gain weight, you know, regardless of what you have. So if you have a cookie or you have a brownie, but it still fits within your 2000, like you can't gain weight. And that to me was like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, that was like mind explosion of of just, wait a minute. So I don't need to just eat tilapia and asparagus five times a day. Like I can actually eat a bowl of oatmeal or an apple and not gain weight. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. And so he was really the first person that introduced me to macros. And can you tell us who it was? Um, yeah. I mean, his name was Koi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if his Instagram exists anymore. Um, We eventually had a falling out. So um, I don't really know what he's up to. I don't know if he still coaches or anything like that. Uh, but for the time being, I, I, listen, I'm still super grateful for the experience. Um, eventually I didn't like how things were being run in his business. And I started to see the other side of how he was coaching. Um, he wanted me to, to be coaching under him and, and help to take on clients. And I just realized, um, how he was going about things and I didn't really agree with his practices. And so I left and that's when I was like, I'm going to create my own coaching business. Like I know how to do this. I'm in school for health and fitness. I'm in school for exercise physiology, like, and I could do this a better way. Yeah, well, I, I, I want her to finish answering your other question first. Yeah, I, I don't was, feel like she hundred percent has yet well, about like, <laughs> so for yeah. me, I would say the, you know, that was a major transition point for me in changing my perspective on food. And it wasn't until I could change my perspective on food that I could change my relationship on food. And once I could change my relationship with food, I was able to change my relationship with my body. So I know that if you have an eating disorder, preaching macros is not necessarily the answer to that. Um, you know, because you do go from one one obsession to a new obsession, right? And so what happens is like, okay, maybe the first obsession was was this orthorexic way of this clean eating and over-exercising, and then that shifted to macros, but then you can become obsessed with those numbers and those macros. But um, in terms of just kind of overcoming the, the orthorexic nature, it was 
realizing that I could eat what I wanted in moderation. And of course, we still want to focus on nutrient density. But when I realized that like calories reigned supreme, it gave me a whole lot more leeway and like totally flipped my perspective on food. Right. And that is a hard thing for a lot of people to hear because they want to believe like the number one question we get if we do live podcasts is what, no, no, what do you eat? Yeah. I don't care about right. anything else. Because you have you muscles eat? and you're lean. I want to look I like you. Exactly so what do you what eat? You eat. Yeah. So, you know, they just yep. want to do exactly what you do and follow that blueprint. But what I was going to kind of jump in and say, so you uh, preach evidence-based fitness mm-hmm. and that kind of makes you a unique guest on our podcast because you are an athlete, you're a bodybuilding.com athlete, you've been through the journey yourself, but you've also studied it. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of had both. We've had j- pure athletes and pure you know, research, but now, and I think you're our second guest in a row that we've had who is both kind of has a background, an actual educational background right. in health and fitness and exercise science, yeah. but then also practices what they've been. Yes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, well, first of all, I, I, and I wanted to say that so any of our listeners and readers can understand that you are not just saying this based on your own personal experience. experience. You're also yeah. saying this based on having studied it. Because yes. I feel like, you know, that getting through to somebody of like, it right. is truly about calories and it is yes. truly about macros carries a little bit more weight when you're coming from an evidence-based background. So yeah. tell me a little bit about how you kind of have modeled that background and and applied that to your your coaching? Sure. So, I mean, the biggest thing for me and and I think what drove me to want to do uh, exercise physiology as my master's was uh, realizing what bullshit I found on the internet and that I, I hate to place blame on anyone or anything other than myself when it comes to having had an eating disorder. But I think about I, when I look back, I think that I spiraled so badly because of all of the misinformation on the internet. And looking back, like that breaks my heart because here I was a kid just trying to get healthy and I just found such garbage on the internet that I thought was gospel at the time. You know, you see an article and it's, I don't know, health.com. And, and so that, that article says, don't eat eggs and don't eat carbs and don't eat sugar. And so I'm like, no, I, I researched it. Like that must be what's right. And, and I saw that obviously that was not true. Right. And, and those things were, did not reign supreme. And so when I started doing my master's in, in exercise science or ex-phys, um, everything was research-based. Everything that you are studying, um, is based on research. And if there's no research to back something, you know, be it foam rolling or rep ranges or, uh, rest periods, you know, if there was no research to back it, like how we learned is like, you don't do it. You know, like if there's no research saying something is, is valid and and reliable, then it's not something we should be pushing to people. And so that's kind of how I started going about my coaching. Like, listen, if, and I I made a post on this about foam rolling recently, right? If foam rolling makes you feel good, great. There are a lot of people that, that anecdotally it works for. But if we look at the research, there's not actually research to show that it's, you know, fixing the tissue or, or, you know, myofascial release, like that it's actually doing something at a cellular level. There's no research to show that. Now, could that mean we just don't have enough studies on it? Sure. But if we're talking about what's evidence-based and what's not, I'm not going to sit here and talk about how foam rolling is gospel if there's no evidence to back that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I started to go about my coaching is this very like no frill, no bullshit. I'm not here to, you know, 
teach you some overnight quick scheme, you know, quick fix. You didn't lose 20 pounds and, uh, you know, you didn't gain 20 pounds overnight. You're not going to lose 20 pounds overnight. Let's do this the right way. Um, and so that ex-phys background just really taught me to value research and value evidence. And that doesn't go to say that things, like I said, can't be anecdotally true. Um, you know, sometimes we just don't have enough research on a certain topic and that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, but it just made me look at, made me look for evidence on my own journey, uh, in other people's journeys. Um, because I, I value that I value the science behind things. I want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing or if I'm wasting my time. Right. Um, and so that was a big thing for me. You know, I have, I have an hour every day to hit the gym. So, uh, before, you know, I just left my teaching job, but I'd go before school every day. Uh, and so 4.30 in the morning, I'm up. I have one hour to get my workout in. I want it to be efficient. I want it to be effective. So I'm going to look into tempo and I'm going to look into rep ranges and I'm going to look into cardio and types and intensity and frequency and duration because I have that one hour and I, I want to make the best of it, sure. you know. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about teaching because I'm also wondering, yeah, you, you look back at this young you and you go, oh yeah. my God, what was I thinking? Yeah. Is that part of what drove you to become an educator? Um, so I think I always wanted to be a teacher, quite honestly. Um, I, I wanted to be a teacher even in high school. Um, I always knew that I wanted to help people and educate people. That was like my two, you know, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like, I just want to help people. And I loved kids. I loved high school. And my dad was a social worker in an elementary school. So I always saw him, you know, having school hours, getting to be with kids. I'd go to like, you know, bring your bring your daughter to work day. And I'd lo I loved being in a school building and meeting all the teachers. And, um, you know, when I was a little kid and I'd play with my cousins and my brother, like we'd always play teacher, right. And we'd have these desks, desks in my grandparents' basement. And I'd always want to be the teacher and like grade their stuff. Like I just always wanted to be a teacher since I was a little kid. And, um, and so going into education was something that I was really passionate about. And, um, I think once I got into a school and started working, I realized that uh, I really love the educating and I really don't love all the other bullshit <laughs> of, you know, observations and, and a principal coming to observe you and reporting to an AP and having to submit lesson plans and make a tenure binder and, um, you know, just all these other administrative aspects of like, I just want to teach. Like, right. I don't want to have to do the adult stuff. Right. And so, um, and so I, I always wanted to teach and, uh, now I've, I've stepped back from my teaching position, but I like to say that I'm, I'm still a teacher. I'm still an educator, just kind mm. of in a different capacity. Sure. No, that makes sense. You're did you, educated. did you feel like you were ever able to reach that young you a little bit? Cause you're teaching health in particular. Yeah. I, I think of my health teacher. Oh. My, my health teacher was terrible. Okay, yeah. Um, and there are bad ones out there. Oh, but there I, are. But, I, but it's, I mean, it's it's an important time to be yeah. able to reach somebody in high school yeah. because, as you mentioned, like, it's really easy to live a horribly unhealthy yeah. mm -hmm. existence Life. at mm -hmm. that time and yeah. think it's okay. Yeah. And, and I felt like I was in a really special area to um, getting to teach health 
nonetheless to high school kids um, where I could talk about nutrition and I could talk about body image and I could talk about self-esteem and I could talk about working out and uh, mental health and anxiety and depression. And uh, I'm super grateful for that because, you know, if it was math or science, you know, you have a very set curriculum to follow. And in my school, because there's no New York state, um, I'm sure you guys have here too, like state testing for math and mm-hmm. science and whatnot. And in New York, you have that too, but there's no state testing for health. So I kind of had freedom of curriculum. I came on uh, and it was a blessing and a curse because I started and I was like, all right, so what do I teach? And they're like, whatever you want. And I'm like, lifting. Well, that's great, <laughs> but I'm right out of college. I have no clue what you know, what to teach. And so I built, I built my own curriculum. Um, we started with mental health. Then we went into, uh, self-esteem. We went into personality. What makes up your personality? Eventually we got to nutrition. We got to drugs, uh, sex, STDs, HIV, the whole shebang. And, um, and it was really awesome, honestly, to be able to share, my experiences with eating disorders and my experiences with anxiety and my experience with body image and self-esteem. And, um, I think that's what, uh, kept me going back. You know, I, I truly love to teach and I truly loved my students, um, and being able to connect with them on a personal level, something really, really special. Um, and so I'll miss that aspect. I'll miss that aspect of it for sure. Um, but I know that I'm still getting to work with a ton of people and, mm-hmm. and affect people's lives in a, in a positive way. So that's awesome. But without a doubt, I do feel like uh, speaking to, I, I feel like my teaching was kind of speaking to the high school me. Um, and I would try to very much think about like, okay, if I was a high school kid sitting in this desk right now, like, you know, there are some things that your teacher saying and you're like rolling your eyes. And so I very much tried to be the, the cool, the cool teacher that you're, that the kids could connect with because I had uh, one great health teacher and I had some other really awful health teachers. And, um, I could think of like two teachers off the top of my head that I loved. They were like my, my people, you know, when I was in high school, they were the, the teachers that I would go to if I had a problem or I just needed to vent or talk to someone other than my parents. There were these two teachers and one of them was a health teacher. One of them was my, my middle school, uh, sorry, my high school social studies teacher. And, um, but a lot of people ask me, you know, who made you want to be a teacher? There's usually that, that one teacher that like inspires you to be a teacher. And I said, I always said I was more inspired by my crappy teachers than my good teachers, because I remember being a kid and sitting in a classroom when I didn't have a good teacher and being like, I can't wait to be a teacher Mm -hmm. so I could be nothing like you. (laughs) Yeah. So I could do all the things that you are teaching me I shouldn't do. And so becoming a teacher, that was like a huge thing that I was about. Like, I want to be the teacher that I didn't always have. Right. Right. No, that's great. Well, and that ties perfectly into fitness because a lot of the athletes that we talk to have a similar story, but with a coach or a trainer that, or an athlete or, an, or yeah. another athlete mm-hmm. that didn't teach them the right way. Right. And that made them want to become a coach because they're exactly what you yeah. said. I can't wait to be able to do this the right way right. and teach people the right way, yeah. not the way you taught me. Yeah. Um, so when you were going through, you know, we started with you know, mental health and then personality mm-hmm. and then moved on to this. It reminded me of a lot of what you're doing now in yeah. fitness because that is very... There's a mindset you know, component. It starts There's with your mindset. a physical component. Your personality might dictate yeah. if you work out in the morning, work out in the afternoon, yeah. things like that. And one post in particular really struck me. It was you talked about a body that you hate can't heal. Can't heal. Yeah. And 
especially coming from a woman's perspective, because I feel like that's a very like, and not to say that men can't hate their bodies too, because plenty of men struggle with body Body image Mm -hmm. the same way women do. But women especially seem to be in this kind of vein of, I hate that my body won't do what I want it to do. And the post was talking about your body's not doing what you want it to do because it's trying to tell you something. And coming from an exercise science background and having the evidence-based approach, can you talk a little bit about what kind of you encounter when people are trying to do something to their body and their body is trying to tell them something that they're just ignoring? Biofeedback is is such an interesting thing, you know, sleep, hunger, uh, emotions, mood, um, all of that is is super important to to a person's journey. And I've had my own unique journey this year uh, of figuring out some hormone stuff, some adrenal stuff, some thyroid stuff, which has been, I mean, I'm ha- more than happy to talk about it, but it's it's been a really interesting journey. And uh, being able to apply that to my own clients um, and what I've found along the way, I think has been super eye-opening. Um, along this journey, I have learned that every symptom uh, is a sign. And that's, you know, that was a, a tough realization for me because I think so many of us, even if we love health and fitness, so many of us are so out of touch with our bodies. And so many of us don't realize how crappy we actually feel until you start to feel good. And then you're like, Oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, I learned this year that, you know, uh, you know, if my feet were swollen, that was, that's a symptom, you know, what's the underlying cause. Uh, I did all this blood work and lab work and my cortisol was shot and my, uh, testosterone was high. So I had high androgens. I had, uh, low estrogen, low progesterone, and all of these symptoms that I was having were, uh, stemming from a root cause. And, uh, it's been a really interesting journey because a lot of what I know from an evidence-based approach was not aligning with this more integrative health approach. Um, and so now I kind of have a, a different light. Uh, I've, I guess the, the practitioner that I started working with was able to kind of shed a different light on things for me. And, um, you know, at first I was super skeptical, you know, of, of things that she wanted me to implement for my own body and my own health journey based on my lab work and things like that. And, you know, I was very resistant at first, like, well, where's the evidence? Right. And she was very like, listen, try it see if it works. Like, no, we don't have a study on it, but that doesn't mean it's not still valuable. Um, so sometimes we got to give these things a try and everybody's body responds differently. Everyone's a little bit different and, um, you know, try this and see if it works. And so, you know, I would try that and it would work and I'd be like, oh my God, Mm. right. This is, this is different. And, um, you know, just going back to that post about, you know, you can't hate, uh, your body into healing. That was, that was huge for me. And, um, just like you can't heal in the same environment that made you sick, right. Mentally Mm -hmm. or physically. Um, and it was just, I've been able to shift. It's taken years, but I've been able to shift my mindset from, uh, doing things out of a place of self-love instead of doing things out of a a place of self-loathing or self-hate. And I think, so many people have it backwards. So many people start their journey because they hate their bodies. And and my my notion is I don't go to the gym because I hate my body. I go to the gym because I love my body and I want to honor it. 
You know, I, I don't eat a salad for lunch because I hate my body and I'm trying to change it. I eat a salad for lunch because I'm, I want to nourish my body. I want to nourish my cells and I want to give my body the nutrients that it needs and deserves. And so being able to shift things from a place of, of self-hate to self-love was, has been such a huge part of my healing journey. Um, and so that's what I was talking about with that post of, you know, you can't, um, a body that you hate can't heal, right? You got to start a, you got to start to work on things from the inside out. And that was a big shift that I had to make of, you know, my body was not doing what I wanted it to do. I was gaining weight nonstop. I couldn't stop gaining weight no matter how much cardio I did, no matter uh, how much I dieted or lowered my macros. I just still kept gaining because there was something going on underneath the surface. And until I started to dig deeper and get lab work done and hormone testing done and all this stuff and, and, Really, until I stepped away from macros and stepped away from the gym a little bit and said, okay, what does my body need, right? I need to heal right now. And so being in the gym six days a week, not conducive to healing. Getting up at 4 a.m., not conducive to healing. Uh, Working out fasted, wasn't conducive to my healing. Um, And so there were a lot of things that I kind of had to step back from this past year. You know, I dropped my workouts from six days a week to three days a week. I started doing yoga once or twice a week. Um, I had to step back from macros, tracking macros for a little bit because I was like, I... I don't want my focus to just be aesthetics anymore. I want my aesthetics to be health. And lo and behold, the more I started focusing on my goal being health-driven, the more my body started to respond. And I was like... I've had this all backwards, right? I've been I've been wanting to just change body comp and disregard health. And I think so many people think they're the same, right? That that weight and health are are mutually exclusive and they're not, right? So you could be uh overweight and have, you know, cholesterol that's fine and blood pressure that's fine. You could be fit and have crap cholesterol and crap, crap blood pressure and whatever else and so I think people think that when they're going to the gym and they are eating relatively well, they think that they're healthy. And here I was like, how could I be this avid gym goer and eat well and be this health and fitness coach and like I'm gaining weight nonstop and I can't. You I can can't provide a footnote it. for every choice you make. Yeah. And yet they're not leading right. you in the right direction. I, th- right. I, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of going back and forth with yeah. science like that. It because, was such and it I yeah. it was such a a you know, mind fuck, excuse me, but, but because I, it was so against anything that I had ever known of, you know, macros and fitness and body composition and calories reign supreme. And here I am like dieting, 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 and everything that I was doing was not working. Um, but it's because what I had known worked for my body in one you know, scenario, my body was in a totally different place. I had just come off hormonal birth control. My hormones were trying to regulate and, um, and my body didn't know how to do those things that it used to know how to do without, you know, the, the exogenous hormones that I was giving it. And so when I pulled back from that and I came off, uh, birth control, my body went nuts, nuts. And it was like, okay, so I know health and fitness, you know, and, and the gym and my cardio and my macros used to work for me, but like I'm, my body's obviously not in the same place. So something's got to give and I got to be open to learning something new, even if it's not what I am used to. Right. And getting into hormones is just, it's a much more mysterious yeah. area to start to conceptualize your behaviors and how your body responds mm-hmm. to things. 
Uh, it's really easy when we're talking about things like rep ranges and calories. Yeah, yeah this was a whole different ball game. It's, it is. It's a yeah. whole different ball game, and you can't really look to science the same way. Nope. You can't even necessarily look at your lab results and get clear uh, answers the same way. Yeah, yeah. You said something very interesting there that I think can actually resonate with a lot of people is that your body isn't always going to be in the same place. Yeah. So going back to your teenage years when you're eating crap, but you right. stayed slim because right. you're just burning it all off. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, you turn 20 or 30 or 40 yeah. or 50 and it's, you know, people, we hear that all the time. Well, yeah. this used to I just work. Wanna, I just want my old body back. This used well, to You're in a different body now, yeah. you know? You're, you're. oh, I just want my body back from before I had kids. Well, okay, but now it's 10 years later and you have a different body and different hormone levels. And there's so much going on beneath the surface that I think people neglect. Um, and, you know, I went to a ton of doctors. I went to, a, to quite a few endocrinologists, uh, reproductive specialists, OBGYNs. And people looked at my blood work and we're like, yeah, okay, you have PCOS. And okay, yep, you have high testosterone. Uh, go on metformin, which is a diabetes medication. I'm like, I'm a 27-year-old kid with, you know, that that works out and eats healthy and mm -hmm. you just want to put me on diabetes medication? Like, that, it just seemed so weird to me. I was like, well, let's not just like treat the symptom. Let's find the underlying cause. And, um, you know, conventional medicine certainly has its its time and place. I, I'm not going right. to sit here and ba bash conventional point, medicine, right. but it was mm -hmm. just right. I I was not interested in treating symptoms. I was interested in finding a root cause, and so I went to you know this doctor was like, hey, go on this medication or or oh, you're not getting a cycle, go back on birth control. And I'm like, no, no, no. All of this is happening because I came off birth control. I don't want to go back on. I was on it. I was on the pill for ten years. And so when I came off, it was because, hey, you know, my husband and I are probably going to try and get pregnant, you know, within the next two years or so. Let me make sure everything's good. And thank God I went off when I did, because if I had wanted to get pregnant right then and there, I'd be very disappointed because it wouldn't have happened. And uh, and so every time I didn't get a response from a doctor that I wanted, I'd book a new appointment with a different doctor. Mm -hmm. And I went to like three or four different doctors and I was getting the same thing over and over. And I'm like in tears every time I leave a doctor appointment because now I'm up 20 pounds after coming off the pill and nothing I do is helping me lose weight. And here I'm about to leave my teaching job to do health and fitness full time and my coaching mm -hmm. gig full time. And I'm like, I can't even control my own body. How, You're a bodybuilding.com yeah. athlete. Yeah, I'm a bodybuilding.com athlete. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and here I'm, I'm about to leave my, my full-time job to do coaching full time. And I can't even control what's going on in my own body and mm -hmm. no one can help me. Everyone just either wants to put me back on the pill or put me on diabetes medication. Like, how is this not? A, like, it was such a red flag to me. And it was so frustrating because I'm like, I want someone to help me find the underlying root cause. Like, why is my testosterone high? Why is why do I have insulin resistance? Why is my cortisol shot? Like, I need someone to help me dig deeper into this lab work and um beauty of instagram lo and behold i was following one or two other girlfriends that were working with this this integrative health practitioner online and uh and i reached out to her I'm like, listen, I know you do a lot of like gut stuff and digestive stuff, but I have like hormone issues. Do you think you could help me? And she was like, Oh honey, you've come to the right place. Like your your hormone issues are probably stemming from your gut issues. And she, you know, called me out right away and was like, Were you on birth control? Did you just come off birth control? I'm like, Yes. How did you know? And she's like, 
Oh, you're going to well, yeah. step mm-hmm. into my office. So uh, she was like, do you have any blood work? Do you have a Dutch test? Do you have lab work? Send me all your recent lab work. Let's let's get on a consult call. So I booked a consult with her and uh, I sent her all my lab work ahead of time. And I remember her emailing me back and being like, I'm so excited to get on a call with you. There's so much here we could dive into. And that alone was like, Uh, like tears to my eyes Mm -hmm. because here I had rounds and rounds of lab work and every endocrinologist and, and OBGYN that looked at it was like, yeah, it's PCOS and no one looks any further. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but PCOS, if you actually know like polycystic ovarian syndrome, if you actually know a little bit about that, it's, it's defined by a set of symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's not actually like a disease. It's mm. it's a characterization of symptoms. There's it's, so many of those in there right, now that right. just people are like, oh, it's an answer, but it right. is. It's just right. a collection of symptoms. It's a diagnosis, right. but it's it's a shit diagnosis yeah. because there's no cure because right. they're symptoms and symptoms are not a diagnosis. Symptoms have an underlying cause. So again, it came down to like, well, let's find the underlying cause. Um, okay. We know it's PCOS, but like, why am I insulin resistant? Um, why are my androgens high and all of this? And so, uh, I got on a consult call with her, which I think was supposed to be like a 45 minute call. And we were on the call for almost two hours. And I was like, take my money, Mm -hmm. take it all. I love you already. You've already changed my life. And she was like, you know, here, here's what we would do. Here's the next steps I would want to take with you. Think about it. Talk to your husband. Like, I know this is an investment. Um, take a day. And I literally got off the call with her. I called my husband at work. I'm like, I'm doing this. He's like, how much is it? I told him, he's like, it's a lot of money. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm desperate. I'm depressed at this point. My body image sucks. My leggings don't, you know, you're like not doing well when your leggings don't fit, like screw the (laughs) jeans and the dresses. Like if my leggings don't fit, there's an issue. They're telling you something. It's right. (laughs) Leggings are stretchy as hell. So if they're not fitting, like there's, there's a problem. And I was so uncomfortable. I mean, quite honestly, she could have charged me triple and I probably would have paid it because I was just so desperate at that point. And this was the first person that was like, I can help you you know, like I can, we can do this. And so she was like, before we even start, like try implementing these three things. Mm -hmm. And like within a week, I felt so much better. And I was like, all right, this is free info that she's giving me. Like, imagine if I work with her, you know? And, uh, and so I love her. I, I highly recommend her. I've been working with her now since, um, May. And, uh, and my program with her has technically ended, uh, but we're still in touch all the time. She's become like family to me. Her and I are working on a a special project together, uh, to put out some, some info, some content for, um, people that, uh, don't necessarily want to sign up for coaching, but, you know, want education on hormones and gut health and digestive health. And, uh, I swear like this woman saved my life Mm. because it was, it was the first person that, took my health as seriously as I was. And I couldn't find that from any other doctor that I went to. Mm. So, so I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how you reconcile this with, you know, your own health coaching as well. Like people are coming to you mm-hmm. with questions. Yeah. What sort of, what sort of questions and, and problems do people come to you with and, and what sort of a, what sort of a health coach are you turning out to be? <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I used to consider myself more like a, a macro coach. Right. And now I very much feel like, uh, 
I don't fit that category as well anymore because now I've realized how crucial our internal health is. And so um, I've implemented a lot of what I learned uh, and have learned into my own coaching. And so, you know, my clients, for instance, they have weekly check-ins with me. I don't want to just know, like, did you hit your macros and how did your workouts go? Their update forms are like, how was digestion this week? Did we have a bowel movement every day? Mm. How was sleep? How sleep quality? How are stress levels? Uh, how is hunger? How is um, water intake? How is bloating? You're like, I want to know everything because mm-hmm. I am there to dig deep with you if we need it. And uh, and so case in point, I had, you know, recently had a, a client that she was talking about, um, you know, I, I got my period this week. My PMS was worse than it's ever been. You know, I had really bad cramps. I had really bad this. And I'm like, do you eat dairy? She's like, yeah, yeah, I eat a ton of dairy, yogurt every day, I have cheese all the time. And I'm like, do me a favor. If you're open to it, I want you to just try cutting out dairy. Try cutting it out for this month. And and this doesn't go to say like we all need to cut out dairy and dairy is bad for us. But this is something that I've learned along the way was uh, dairy can have some really bad, you know, negative implications on on menstrual health and and period health and, and things like that. So I'm like cut out dairy for this one month and see if your cycle's any different next month. She comes back to me the next month. She's like, I had no PMS. I got no cramps. My short, my cycle was lighter. It was a little uh, shorter. Uh, no breast tenderness. No this, no that. But is it worth losing the cheese? Right. But, but so, now and she then, gets to choose that. But then right? now it's her choice. <laughs> right. And that's the beauty of it right. is like, listen, if you don't want to cut out dairy for the rest of your life, don't. Right. But I want to just show you that there is a whole lot of healing that can be done just from nutrition. Well, based on your story, there's plenty of doctors out there that'll just give you a pill to fix right, it. That'll right. give and you a pill to cover up the, sim- that. the symptoms. Yeah. And plenty of people out there want to. Yeah. So speaking to the people who maybe have heard the, here's a pill for this, or, you know, here's a magic right. pill, and that's not good I enough. I promise you there's another way. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I promise you there is so much more to be done. What I would really, really urge people to do, if, if you... The biggest thing I could say is be an advocate for your own health, right? No one is going to value your health more than you. So if you feel like something is off and you are not getting the answers that you want, don't let someone convince you that you're fine. Don't let someone convince you that you could just take a pill and fix it because there are always underlying causes. You know, the swelling, the fatigue, the uh, poor recovery, like those are symptoms. The bloating, um, the water retention, these are these are signs. This is your body trying to tell you something. Every symptom that you have is your body trying to compensate for something else that that is not working well. And so that was big for me of of initially when I started this program with Taylor, my health practitioner, um, you know, she had me make all sorts of um, uh, eliminations to certain foods that I was eating and having come from a eating disorder background, I was super against eliminating any foods because it took me years to get to a point of like, I don't believe in food restriction. Right. And so now here was this person telling me like, let's try some food restriction. And I'm like, I spent so long trying to get out of this. And I was really hesitant to, to go back into restricting certain things, but she was super, super helpful and eased my mind a ton about, listen, like this is for health purposes. Mm -hmm. This is not because, you know, we're afraid of those foods. This is because we're going to cut them out for a a temporary time. Then we'll introduce them back in. We got to see how your body responds and see if there are some food sensitivities here that your body's not responding to. And Um, you know, I am a recovering peanut butter addict. Um, so 
to have to cut out peanut butter was like, you want me to what? You know, like <laughs> screw the cheese, the peanut, you're going to take my peanut butter away. Right. Um, and so uh, that was something really interesting for me. I, I had originally had to ditch gluten, ditch dairy, ditch corn, ditch nuts and seeds. And slowly I introduced those things back in one by one. Um, and the, um, you know, now I can have certain certain things of that, like I've, I've started, I reintroduced eggs, I reintroduced egg whites, um, I reintroduced seeds. Um, but now I've, I've tried to reintroduce almonds twice and, uh, and I blow up like digestively blow up. And, uh, now it's, what's super interesting is anytime I reintroduce a food that I haven't had in a while, if my body does not respond well to it, I get a migraine within an hour, I have a migraine. And so that was another really interesting thing to me is that, uh, if you have a food sensitivity, food sensitivities don't just present themselves as digestive upset. It could be fatigue. It could be your joints hurting. It could be swelling. It could be headaches, um, brain fog. You know, there were all these things. And so this process has forced me to be extremely, extremely in tune with my body. You know, I know, I know that day if something sat well with me or not because I feel achy or I get a headache. And so uh, I had some almond butter recently. A few weeks ago, I tried to reintroduce almond butter and I, I got a migraine within an hour. And I'm like, nope, nuts are, nuts are not doing it for me. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet, at least. Right. So this whole thing has been a really, really interesting learning process, especially coming from this evidence-based background, right? Where I've been so uh, pro-science, anti-bullshit for so long that now this was like, okay, well, I'm anti-bullshit, but some things just don't have evidence or some things... Uh, are just individual, right? I might, um, you might be fine with dairy. I might not be fine with dairy and dairy might not affect your periods, but dairy might affect my periods. And so, um, everything is on a very individual basis. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to share that with my clients and getting feedback from them, uh, about how they're feeling, you know, it, we tend to think that we're not very stressed beings. Like, oh, I'm not really that stressed at work. But when you kind of take stress inventory and you're like, well, I'm working out five days a week, that's a stress on the body. I'm in a caloric deficit. And and ultimately, a, being in a caloric deficit when you're dieting, that's it's, for, it's controlled starvation, if you will. So stress. that's a stress right. on the body. And, you know, the, the deadline that you have at work, that's a stress on the body. And maybe you're in a fight with your best friend and that's a stress on the body. And uh, you got a new puppy and that's a stress. And when you stop and think about all these things that you're stressed about and then you're like, well, why isn't my body responding to my, my weight loss? Like maybe it's cause we need to get stress, you know, under control. And, and so if stress is out of whack, then, then sleep is out of whack. If sleep is out of whack, digestion's out of whack. If digestion is out of whack, hunger is out of whack. And I think the whole, what this has taught me so much is that everything is so interconnected. And so sharing this journey has brought a lot of new types of clients to me um, that see me on this health journey uh, with my hormones and with my gut health. And um, I think my biggest issue now is like, yeah, I've learned a lot, but I also want to stay in my lane. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an integrative health practitioner right. now. You know, I, I still, easy, it's yeah. easy to overstep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Listen, I could go put uh, in my Instagram profile, uh, hormone and, and gut expert, and I'm sure I'd get a ton of new clients, but mm -hmm. 
just because I've experienced it, it doesn't make me an expert on it. Do I know a lot about it at this point? Yeah, but I'm sure I still have a ton to learn. And um, I know my body. That doesn't mean I necessarily know your body. And so still when clients or prospective clients come to me with with an, a major issue that they're having, if it's something that I don't think like, listen, I, I can shed some light on this, but like I can't coach you through what my health practitioner coached me through, I refer out, you know, I still very much am adamant about, uh, staying in my lane and staying within my scope of practice. I don't, you know, I'll refer out if I need to, if, if someone has an eating disorder, I refer out. Um, and if someone has a a health issue that I don't claim to, you know, cure or treat or whatever else I refer out. Um, but it without a doubt has, has made me a different kind of coach. It's, it's made me, uh, be less, less focused on aesthetics and more focused on like what's happening beneath the surface. Let's make sure your health is okay because if your internal health is good, your physical health will reflect that. And so I've very much shifted things from working on the outside only to working on the inside and letting that reflect by default on the outside. And the, and the response you feel like has been positive or yeah. are some people oh, kind so of positive. puzzled sometimes? So positive. I think um, for the most part, it, it's been super, super positive. Um, it was a struggle for me at first because it went against so much of what I knew. And, and you know, on my Instagram, I share these knowledge bombs, right? So these, these infograph um, every three posts, I make a new, uh, infographic. And, uh, when my journey started to change, some of that content started to change and became more about menstrual health and hormone health and gut health. And, um, I don't want to get away from all the other stuff, you know, the sets and the reps and the exercise science. Um, but this, this info is so relevant to me and my journey. And I've learned so much that like, I just want to help other people, you know, going through that same thing. And I think, internal health is not talked about enough. And, uh, I think that as a fitness industry, you know, clean eating was such a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Health and fitness has come and goes, comes and goes in waves. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, this clean eating balls to the walls approach, you know, and then, uh, people had really bad rebounds. And then we learned about reverse dieting and, Mm -hmm. you know, then reverse dieting was a big thing because metabolic damage was a big thing. And then flexible dieting was a big thing. And pop tarts, you know, as a pre-workout was a big thing. And we've kind of gone through all these different stages of health and fitness. And we tried to, I think we tried to very much overcompensate for the, the bro diets and the tilapia and, and asparagus diets uh, by teaching macros and flexible dieting and balance. But then we took it to that extreme. And now we've taught people that like, yeah, fill your day with Pop-Tarts and ice cream and you could still get shredded. Yeah, total. as long as you met your calorie goal. And, and so now we've taught people that and now we've neglected health. And so when it comes to my kind of personal philosophy on coaching, I'm very much trying to bridge the gap between macros and health and wellness mm-hmm. because right. I'm I'm something in between, you know, where I still value macros and I value uh, caloric balance and moderation and variety, but I also value internal health and, and making sure that things are going on, going, running smoothly beneath the surface. And so I'm very much trying to like bridge this gap because sure. I feel like, you know, there's people in this camp, you know, on one side and there's people in this camp on the other side. And I'm like somewhere in between trying to trying to mesh them both right. together and do both. Calories matter. Right. Calories matter, but 
health matters, health matters too. too. Yeah. One thing I've noticed you posting a fair amount about is uh, is plant-based proteins also. Um, and I feel like we're in really interesting time with plant-based proteins right now because there are more of them out mm-hmm. there than ever before. There are blends everywhere that match up fairly well against yeah. animal-based mm-hmm. proteins. Um, but at the same time, you know, the nutritional establishment is still kind of, hey, you know what? Protein quality, protein quality. Right. Look at, you know, right. whey is king, egg is king. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about about how you came to plant-based proteins and how what your experience is like. Sure. So um, I was an avid whey and casein user, casein user for years. Um, as long as I could remember, I've been having at least a scoop of whey a day, sometimes more. Um, I'd make my, you know, my protein smoothies with them, my protein ice cream. I'd put whey in my oatmeal. Um, when I started on this new journey, I had to cut out dairy. And, um, and so there went the whey. And uh, it's probably the one thing, I, besides peanut butter, probably the one thing I miss most because I, I do I love a good protein shake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started using a plant-based protein. Uh, or a few different plant-based protein. And I will say they don't compare in terms of flavor. They are chalkier without a doubt. They are Some are better than others. Yes, some are better than others. But typically the texture is a whole lot different. Um, And I'm not really someone that's bothered by texture. Like I know some people like their palates, like certain textures, they don't, that doesn't really bother me. You know, um, I, I don't really want something that tastes like dirt, but if it's like a little chalky, but the you know, whatever, whatever, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, plus when you throw it into a smoothie and there's a ton of fruit and other stuff in there, you don't really taste it anyway. Um, but I, I came to plant-based protein cause I ended up having to cut out whey and, um, and there are definitely, uh, different plant-based proteins that are better quality than others. I recently made a post on my Instagram about plant-based protein. Um, and uh, I made like a little a little vegan protein cheat sheet. And in the caption, it was talking about complementary proteins and complete proteins and incomplete proteins. And um, basically, the reason that whey reigns supreme, uh, typically, and why dairy protein weighs 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 reigns supreme. So there we go. Whey, whey. There's too many ways. Um, reigns supreme is because it has a full amino acid profile. So we have essential amino acids, we have non-essential amino acids, and uh, whey contains all nine of the essential amino acids. In higher levels. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And essential meaning our body doesn't produce them. So we need to get them from our diet. When we have something like a, you know, pea protein or a brown rice protein, which is where those plant-based proteins are coming from, they're typically incomplete proteins. So you know, a lot of people when they're vegetarian or vegan, they worry about getting enough protein in. And so, um, you can like a puzzle, take two incomplete proteins to make a complete protein. So if, uh, if rice is lacking leucine, but beans have leucine and you have them both together, then now you just made a complete protein by having rice and beans together. So ultimately you at least want to be looking for a plant-based protein that does have a full complete amino acid profile based on the different types of plant proteins that are in it. So rarely, if you look at like a plant protein, um, rarely is it just one type of Right. plant protein. They're not typically just pea protein or just uh, black bean. Right, yeah. right. In a, in a powder. To be- yes. So a lot of them now, if you, you know, look, turn over the label and look at the label, a lot of them might say like uh, the amino acid profile and show if they're in full amino acid, you know, all uh, nine of the essentials and the other 11 non-essentials that our body can already make. Um, and so, 
they definitely are different in terms of quality, but I would say for anyone that is looking for a plant-based protein, just look for one that has a complete, you know, amino acid profile. I think the bad rap that plant-based protein gets is you have to think a little bit more. Like the the average person could just grab a whey protein off the shelf and they just know it's going to be be complete protein. It's easy. They don't have to add anything to it. They don't have to mess around with this whole incomplete, complete, complimentary nonsense. But bottom line is if you're getting a full amino acid profile, regardless of if it comes from whey or casein or egg or plant, you're still getting your full amino acid loads. You're still getting what you need. So it's not that one's better than the other. It's just a matter of making sure you're getting everything. Right. Right. And, and at the end of the day, I think still your, your total or total protein intake will uh, matter most, you know? So if my morning smoothie with my plant-based protein doesn't have all nine essential amino acids, my next meal might, you know? And so as long as I'm getting enough protein for my body, mm-hmm. I'm not that worried about it. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's it's very easy for vegetarians to sort of get into that. Uh, every meal must be A plus B equals C. Yes. And I feel like bodybuilding.com has published articles that have been guilty of that in the past. Like if you are a vegetarian, make sure that you, you know, use this yeah. handy dandy chart to make every meal have X right. complete protein. And then you make it too complicated for people it, yeah, and people right. don't want to do it anymore. Th- that yeah. said, yeah. if we're talking about taking a protein shake post-workout, I do think that there's an argument to be made. Yes. Like, you know what, if you're going to have one, acid. one blast yeah. of protein at a specific That's time. The time. Make it, make not, it, post make it a good one. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. And I also want to talk to you about blood flow, blood flow restriction okay. because you did uh, one. What, I did a, couple, a live here on it. Yeah, Go check on yeah, YouTube I, if you're I, listening. There are a couple videos out Last there of time I was here. This. And like, it's a really interesting topic and we've talked with a fair number of people uh, on the podcast about it because it's very popular right now, but it's always struck me as interesting because it has such a clinical background. Yeah. Like, it's, surgical rehab, yeah. you know, atrophied legs. That's where it comes from. Yeah. But yeah, now rehab. it's got this super hardcore bodybuilding, bodybuilding. sort of yeah. um, mystique right Norton now. For that. Right. Yeah. Lane Norton and people like that, yeah. Jake Wilson, people like that. They're, yeah. they're pushing it for hardcore bodybuilders. It hasn't, re- but to the per- just normal person in the gym, it hasn't really caught on yet. And I'm wondering why why you decided to do that as your uh, as your live. Yeah, so, uh, great question. When I did my masters in X in uh, X Phys, we had to do basically like a master's thesis, which was our own research project. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I it's it's around the time this was 2014 to 2015. And it was around that time that I found Lane Norton and he was talking a lot about blood flow flow restriction. And I started looking into it and I know that like Lane is a very science-based guy. So I was like, all right, there's got to be some, it's got to be something to this. Lane is talking about this. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. His science is solid. Let's, you know, I want to dig into this. And so, uh, it wasn't something that we went over in my exercise science curriculum and I was still so curious about it and it wasn't something we covered. And so I wanted my research project to be on blood flow restriction. So, um, my, my master's thesis research project was, uh, blood flow restriction in conjunction with post-activation potentiation on sprint Ooh. performance. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, say that, wow. you know, three times fast. So Okay, okay. so um, that's an interesting combo because post-activation potentiation is like, that's strength work. Yes. Yeah, that's, and so mm-hmm. PAP, post-activation yeah. potentiation, that would be um, the notion of, uh, you know, a sprinter taking uh, a few high jumps, right? right? Doing a, some standing vertical jumps right there um, to kind of, quote unquote, power up the muscles, right? right? And to excite the the cells in the nervous system um, and prepare the body for intense activity. And so uh, me and a few of my other, uh, I was a graduate assistant 
And so we worked full time as grad assistants while doing our our uh, grad student stuff. And so we, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We were working as grad assistants and then 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. We had our grad classes. And so all of us were doing like each other's studies and being subjects in each other's studies. And so there was another kid doing his on post-activation potentiation. He was a baseball player. So he wanted to see if doing certain power movements before throwing a baseball had any impact. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what about if we combine that with blood flow restriction? Let's see if blood flow restriction and we combine that with post-activation potentiation before or after before a sprint okay. so we wrapped um blood pressure cuffs around people's legs mm-hmm. tightened them up um restricted blood flow uh you know it, it, at the top of the thigh had people do five big like star jumps essentially um so pure power work yep. with the bands on power okay. work with the bands on and then run their sprint and then with another the day off with the bands off. So, so the jumps with the bands on, uh-huh. take them off, sprint. Uh, I think it was a 40 yard. Mm-hmm. And then um, they'd come back for another day and we would do the sprint without the blood flow restriction. They'd come back for another day and we would do the jumps without the blood, uh, you know, do the post-activation potentiation, but without the right. um, uh, blood pressure cuffs, you know, causing restriction. And, uh, and it was just, it was interesting. It was interesting to see. Um, we didn't see a, a significant difference if we know, um, you know, research-based, everything is based on like, is P less than 0.05, right. right? Is there statistical significance? Um, and there was no statistical significant difference. Um, but I think there was a lot, of, like looking back, I think we could have done it a little bit differently um, to, to make sure that it was done better and right. and more accurately and now I would love to do that same study but without post activation potentiation because I feel like I didn't get a real feel for uh if you know if there was a statistical difference well was it because of the pap or was was it because of the BFR right yeah um, they're almost different mechanisms right, right? right. so like, we were kind of trying to combine more yeah. the other one is, uh, is right. way metabolic right. yeah but yeah so the the post activation is very neuro neurological and neuromuscular and the blood flow restriction is definitely more metabolic. So. But you've stuck with at least one of those. Yes. You're like, yep. all right. So, you're, you're yeah. Be, be so, an blood flow restriction. Yeah. Blood flow restriction, I did a lot of research on, you know, to even um, present my study, you know, to my professors and to get it approved. Like, you had to know your stuff. And, um, and so I did a ton of research on, on blood flow restriction. And um, I don't see it as much lately. I haven't seen much of it flowing around. Mm. I think that people are still very hesitant to do it because uh, you can do it wrong and you could cause more harm than good if you're restricting too much, right? We don't want to restrict arterial flow. We want to restrict venous flow so that blood is pooling in the muscle, um, but we don't want to restrict blood getting to the muscle. That would be very bad. Um, And so I think the, the average person in the gym is kind of just too afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do see, you know, more um, uh, advanced or more experienced bodybuilders every now and then using sure, it. Sure, sure. Well, and, and I think one I, one other reason why I feel like I don't see it as much being discussed out there. And is, I never see women doing it. Well, that's the, that was the other thing I was going to ask yeah. you next. But also, I feel, I feel like there's sort of the, the protocol, 30, 15, mm-hmm. 15, 15, and people are kind of bored with it. Like, and I've talked yeah. with different people about, you know, there, there's, there, are, there are myriad different ways you could yes. program it. But the research, Lane Norton, everyone else, they're sort yep. of like initially just, okay, here's what the research says. Yep. And so people think like, well, I've done it for a while. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm done with that. Um, but no, I wanted to ask you specifically, yeah, what, what do you think it 
offers to women um, and to women who maybe aren't hardcore physique competitors? Yeah, um, I, I would say it's it's you know, is there a major difference? Um, I, I would say for the average gym goer who's just trying to like go in and be fit and like, you know, lift some weights and look okay and feel healthy. It's probably not something that they need to do. I think it appealed to me more because it was something, um, that was different. And when you're bored of your workouts, it's another kind of technique that you could start to implement. And, um, for me, it was also uh, a time thing. And that is a, a great advantage. Yeah. For sure. It yeah. was like, hey, if I could get, uh, you know, fatigue my muscle that much quicker and I'm on a time crunch in the gym, that appealed to me because I was like, hey, I could do this like these four sets and bang them out back to back with very little rest and get a sick pump right. and, and have a great effect on the muscle. And it took me half the time as my regular four sets. That was, mm-hmm. that was appealing to me. So it, it is a time saver. Um, <clears throat> and the science says like not only muscle gains, there's strength gains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. Muscle, muscle yeah. quality gains. Like there's, there's, there's yeah. definite positives. Yeah. In there. There's more mm-hmm. growth, you know, more growth hormone, more testosterone metabolically. It, it's something that helps. And ultimately when, you know, when we want a muscle to grow or we want a muscle to get stronger, we need to force it. We need to force it to grow and to adapt. And so, um, you know, it's, yes, the workout makes us stronger, but it's really the recovery from that workout. That's mm-hmm. that's the most crucial part of, of a, a muscle getting stronger, getting bigger. And so if I can, uh, the other thing that, that really appealed to me was that I could use less weight mm-hmm. and still um, get the same effects of an exercise. And for someone um, that, was up at four in the morning going to the gym every day. My recovery was not all that good. And I was achy. You know, my elbows hurt every now and then. My ankles, my knees hurt every now and then. And blood flow restriction was something that allowed me to use less weight, but get basically the same benefit. And just strut into school with a sick pump. Right, and get to school (laughs) with a sick bicep pump and without my elbows aching or my wrists aching or something like that. Um, And like you said, it originated from rehab purposes, you know, where uh, people could, you know, let's say they had a, a... uh, an elbow injury or a shoulder injury um, or, or a knee stuff, injury. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, they could do like a leg extension with BFR and they could only put 20 pounds on the leg extension, but they have those bands on and it feels like 50 pounds. Um, but you're putting a whole lot less stress on the joint when you're doing BFR because you're forced to use a lighter weight right. in order to do it effectively. Yeah. I feel like it's time. Has, it's going to come back around. To I, think a I think it will. I think it will. I think it was hot for like a little bit and then it kind of died out. But I bet you it'll come back. Mm. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming and giving us so much time here yeah, this morning. Thanks so um, much for having me. So, so if people want to find you out there and learn more about you, follow your journey, where do they where do they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Joelle Samantha. Great. And that's that's the best place. That's the best place, honestly. Um I am on the Twitter every now and then. Mm-hmm. My my Twitter name is not the same. My my Twitter name is like my college self trying to be funny. And so my my Twitter is PB and Joelle. Oh. You um, don't you don't have to admit PB and Jelly, uh-huh. but oh, okay. <laughs> um honestly, my all of my social media was was private while I was teaching. Um and so now it is no longer private, so you could find me anywhere. Uh but I was originally private because I was teaching high school and you know, high school kids liked it. 
like to dig and find all their Mm -hmm. teachers. And so I'd have my students like coming up to me in class, like, look, miss, I found your Instagram. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) You know, not that there's anything bad up there, but like you try to keep your, you know, your personal life a little bit away from your, your professional life sometimes. But now, now, you can. now you're out there. Come on board. And I'm up on there. Bodybuilding.com. You can also of find course. her on bodybuilding.com. So Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking. Thanks so much for having me. 